I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds, so dark of above. The sun's in my heart, and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from the place. Come on with the rain, I've a, I've a smile on my face. I walk down the lane with a happy refrain. Cause I'm singing, just singing in the rain. Doobie doobie doob doo doo. I mean, I want to take a, a stab in the dark and say, singing in the rain? Yes, but there's another one, which I'm I, more accurately quoting, I would suppose. I, I actually don't know. Um, you might have caught a more malicious tone to the song. Perhaps even Home Invader-esque. Mal <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, that was the only song he knew, so that is what he sang during the Home Invasion and A Clockwork Orange. Ah. Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 1 of the Average Joe's Movie Club cast. This is Justin. And I'm Joey. And this season we're changing things up a bit and doing theme-based episodes. And this week we're talking about musicals. And we and we have both chosen movies um, that I would say are definitely on completely different sides of the musical genre spectrum, to say the least. The first one will be Joey's pick of The Umbrellas of Shoreborn from 1964. And later on, my pick, Dancer in the Dark, from the year 2000. And a fun, a fun fact is both of these movies won the top prize at the Cannes, Cannes Film Festival in the prospective years by winning that good old Palme d'Or. And just a heads up, we do discuss our full thoughts on films. So, you know, if you haven't seen them, please do skip ahead if you wanted to uh, avoid those juicy, juicy spoilers. And if you want to be a part of the club, as always, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. And we actually heard from somebody um, last time around. My buddy uh, Max on um, Letterbox gave us a real nice compliment about the show uh, last week. What um, what did we talk about last week or last show? 
Um, we were doing, it was kicking and screaming mm-hmm. and Challenge? the passion, n- not passion of the Christ. Oh, the last temptation. <laughs> last of Christ. temptation. Thanks so much for Max, uh, to Max for that, uh, that wonderful compliment. We're glad that you're listening. All right. So what is it? Coronavirus quarantine week five, over a month now. How are things going for you? Um, they're they're going pretty well. Um, you know, work is still uh, work is still work. Um, hours have been cut, but you know, still just basically doing curbside. Um, there's some juicy, spicy videos on the internet from a from a pretty famous YouTube guy that's entertaining, where they're saying some interesting things about my company. Mm. But you know, um, I, I won't I won't delve into that too much. But if you if you know where King Arthur's from, you know who the YouTuber is that's making videos. Um, mm. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, let's see. I hit up uh, I hit up two orders from the Arrow. Arrow flash sale, Easter uh-huh. sale, spring sale, whatever you want to call it. So that was uh, that was interesting. Um, I also including in that is the the two movies for our next episode. So I got those. Spoiler. Um, with... <laughs> well, I'm not gonna say what they are, but I did get I did get them. Yeah. So, so I'll tease what the what the theme is there. But oh yeah, there's a ton of um a ton of um. I got like I think a total of like 15 movies or something like that. Uh, well, it's more than 15 movies. It's 15 titles, but wow, three three of them had two of them had four movies. One of them had three. So yeah, um, it was uh, it was it was a pretty good haul overall. Um, waiting for them to ship out, so it'll get here. But you know, coming from England, it'll be might be a minute. And yeah, yeah, and then uh, I think outside of that, uh, it's been. Just, you know, watching movies and playing video games, you know, the usual. Yeah. And the nice big Easter weekend. Uh, boys got a basketball goal um, from the Easter Bunny. So it took me pretty much all day on Sunday to get that guy set up. But uh, proud to have that up in the backyard playing some horse with the boy. So because it's a good excuse to go outside. We hit the, the, jo- the walking, biking trail on Saturday. And we had our first um, aggressive... Um, so uh, aggressive, what should I say, uh, moment where, uh, anyways, so like the boys are like, they're going up to each intersection, stopping, waiting for me to get up there with them. And this uh, older lady walks by walking her dog and she's like, starts screaming at them saying, why aren't you going? Why aren't you going? I'm like, well, they're waiting on me to cross the street lady. And she's like, don't you know what six feet of social distancing is? So I was like, uh, yeah, but get over yourself. So yeah, that was a nice, good, uh bike ride around crowfield plantation in goose creek um about seven miles yep definitely put those uh boys on long long bike rides like to build some character there um have a camp in this weekend to where we're actually supposed to get bad weather so we might like chill out in the house and maybe set up some sleeping bags or go in the backyard and see what happens but it's also all all like online stuff like we'll be posting like activities online to do so We'd have a camp out just at home online. 
I guess. I'm supposed to organize activity. I got to get all on that. And then you might notice that I uh, something's missing off my head. Yeah, it looks like you, uh, you got a little buzz job there. Yeah, I got my old clippers out and put on that old three guard and got it nice and decent short. I did it all by myself, so not too shabby. But man, yeah, my long hair was driving me crazy and can't get any haircuts anymore. So uh, I had to do it myself. I mean, it's not too hard to do a um, to do your own like buzz cut. I did I did my own buzz cuts for years. So until uh, last year when I decided to start growing my hair out. So nice. And then, um, yeah, I guess the, the ultimate truth about growing a beard is like, you know, they'll say over and over, like, you know, just keep shaving it and shaving it and grow thicker. No, no, just leave it alone. But it's going to do what it's going to do. And eventually it'll get a little longer. It's actually getting a decent length now. So, um, like, I've had it for almost a year, but it was always kind of like at a just very uh, general length. And I was always kind of like kind of evening it off, but it really wasn't going anywhere. Just, you know, cutting strands and. You just let it go. It, it'll go. So, yeah, I need to like. I wish the, the shop started so I could like get the, the ends and get it like evened out. But it's it's getting very burly, having not been touched up in a while. But yeah, well, it is what it is. Have you ever used one of those straightening irons? I thought about getting one of the like the ones I keep seeing advertised on like internet everywhere, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. Um, maybe I should, but. Eh. We'll see. Nice. All right. So we got a movie night pick'em game this week. Uh, yeah, and this uh, movie night pick'em is the Seth Rogen Throwdown. Oh. Um. All right. We're gonna do uh, 2008's Zach and Miri Make a Porno. <laughs> Kevin Smith. Or right. yeah, that is a Kevin Smith movie. Or uh, 2013's This Is the End. Well, that's that makes it easy. I've never seen This Is the End. So um. Yeah, by default, it would have to go to that one. Yeah, oh. this is the end, and I think it's called... What's the, the Edgar Wright one? Um, um, the last of the Cornetto trilogy is called, like, The World's End. I hadn't seen any, either of those two movies. I think they're similar, like, end-of-the-world kind of comedy things. But, yeah. Yep, that would be it. Hadn't seen that. So, interesting. Although, awesome. I did enjoy Zach and Mary. Me and uh, Christina watched that back in the day and had a good time with it, so... That's probably one of, despite the title, probably one of Kevin Smith's more tasteful films. I mean, I don't know if that movie's tasteful, but um, <laughs> like at all. But it's Christi- um, it's, Christi- it's my wife palatable, so. Uh, okay, I, I mean, guess it, it, it could be a date movie, not just a bros movie. Um, um. Although it's been a long time since I've seen it. I say it's it's pretty raunchy, but um, I guess it's. It's one of those movies I, I guess I call like a guy's rom-com because, you know, you know, you got the whole love story in there, but it's definitely raunchy AF. Um, <laughs> I guess for me between these two, like I, I sat there and I made this and I was like, well, I know this is going to get thrown back at me. And I was like, it's kind of tough because I remember like watching This is the End in theater and like it was me and a group of friends and we were like dying laughing throughout the whole movie. <laughs> but I think I've only watched that one. Like I might have only watched it like once maybe mm-hmm. twice since um, it's been out of theater. Like I have it on Blu-ray, but like uh, Zach and Miri, I've watched t- numerous, numerous times. Mm-hmm. So I guess like, like I'd probably just pick Zach and Miri because I love it so much. Like, yeah, if I was going to just, oh, I have to pick one, I'd probably pick Zach and Miri. 
Yeah, that'll definitely be on my Kevin Smith um, revisit tour. All right, so moving along, we got some, let's talk about the movies we've been watching lately with the good, the bad, and the ugly. What are your categories this week? I got uh, Still Great, uh, and Phenomenal, and The Ban Has Been Lifted. And I have Rockin' Like a Hurricane, so random, but still has those moments of brilliance, and still holds up. Why can't he make more movies like this? What's your Phenomenal movie? Oh, that's High and Low. Okay. Yeah, Corsawa. Uh, yeah, Corsawa. So we watched that the the other day. Um, I mean, it's one of just a top tier Corsawa movie. Um, I think it's the second one I've watched that wasn't a samurai movie. And uh, I mean, I kept kept waiting for Mifune to like pull out a samurai sword and kill people. But um, what's the other is what's the other one? Uh, the Duskadin. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, some reason Akira came to mind, but yeah, we did watch the dust get in. Yeah. And, uh, boy, like this, I'm assuming you've seen this one, right? Yep. Yeah. So, like, man, just, you know, the, the then modern setting, and, you know, it's a businessman, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's, he's trying to keep himself from being forced out, and this kidnapping happens, and then, just everything the way it's framed you you can feel his emotion coming through and then like the one the one piece of color they put in there was so great and just 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 everything about it like if you if you like Kurosawa or you've never seen Kurosawa like you just just this movie is just it's just a great movie it's just a great piece piece of cinema and I highly recommend it to anybody I know they call it a ransom remake I've never actually seen ransom so I couldn't speak Precisely to that. Have you seen Mel Gibson's version? No, I haven't, but I would definitely uh, be more interested in that now. All I knew about it coming in was like the, how the first like part just takes all place in that room, which is really good. And then everything after that was a surprise to me. And yeah, especially at the very ending. Um, yeah, very solid Corsava for sure. All right. And so you, uh, let's... Let's go with Rockin' Like a Hurricane. All right. So as promised, uh, I probably mentioned this on the last podcast that I was definitely going to be renting Trolls World Tour for the kiddos on uh, Friday when it hit VOD, supporting that video on demand straight to the house. And so, yeah, we watched that bad boy, I think, three times over the course of two days. So um, it wasn't as good as the first one. Like... Like the first one, they definitely like use like less popular songs, less like original songs to like really kind of make this story about like this character journey. Where this one was just like a bunch of bunch of covers, which I mean they were good covers, especially the rock ones. I mean, Rockin' Like a Hurricane was on there and Barracuda was on there. There's actually this whole like Infinity War vibe because the evil rock trolls are trying to collect the strings from all the uh, troll clans in order to make the um, guitar. Got um, Infinity Stone Gauntlet thing, in order to make everybody the same. So there is a little bit of a, a Marvel vibe to it. Uh, overall, it was fun. Um, had some good like 
we should all love each other and you know under, understand each other's difference vibes in there which always is a fun message for kids valuable um overall you know entertaining it's just the story didn't just didn't hold up compared to the original which i really like the original you know real good time there all right what's your um great movie no oh, that was uh role models Okay, yeah, I need to hear about this because when I saw you put this at five stars, I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen this. Okay, oh, I don't want to hear a lip from you about ranking comedies really high, Mister. I ranked um Dumb and Dumber at four and a half stars. Oh. It's, a, it's a classic. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Not a fan. Um, I liked that movie a lot when I was younger. Um, I haven't seen it in a very long time. I just don't know if that would have held up to stay at four and a half stars. So, Kick his ass, bass. <laughs> what's the most annoying movie in the world? Yes, and I changed that on purpose. But anywho, I had ranked it at three and a half stars, I guess, when we were talking about last time, given things, um, rankings out of memory. And yeah. uh, when I finished watching this, I had just stayed laughing the whole time. Like... It has Paul Rudd in it, who might be the greatest comedic actor of the last twenty plus years. Okay. Um, like, is Paul Rudd in? I think uh, in um, I Love You, Man. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's in it with uh, Jason Segel. Yeah, that's a good one from what I remember. Yes. Um, but you know him and him and Stifler, Sean William Scott, and you just call him Stifler because let's be real, that's who he is. Every character is Stifler. Yeah. Um, and in 2008, he was still Stifler. Um, this movie had been made now instead of uh, Sean William Scott being the top billed guy, it literally would have been role models, and then right underneath it in just huge letters, Paul Rudd, and then probably nobody else. Um, and then it had Elizabeth Banks, um, Miri from the aforementioned Zach and Miri make a porno. Um, yeah. was also in it um from the same year even um nice. yeah it was just uh it was it was very inappropriate um probably wouldn't get made today um and it was just it was super hilarious um you know two guys end up in trouble they have to go be uh role models as their community service and then there's a love story and then you've got uh, mclovin uh, christopher Mintz, please uh, he's a kid, one of the, he's Paul Rudd's little brother, um, for the movie. And he is, you know, really big into LARPing and, you know, he teaches him how to, you know, better interact. And, and then he teaches Paul Rudd how to, you know, let loose and blah, blah, blah. But it's just <laughs> inappropriately hilarious nice. as most, most comedies tend to be these days. Yeah. Most of them are pretty, uh, what a. A lot of vulgar humor, just kind of throw out that at the wall, improv and stuff. So, all right, all right. So, uh, what was random but still had moments of brilliance? All right. So I finally got through with the um, the big Monty Python trilogy by watching um, Meaning of Life, old favorite of mine. Um, I guess it's fair to say that it is my second favorite of the Monty Pythons from. Um, First being Holy Grail, then Meaning of Life, and then Life of Brian. I still need to see their first movie um, now for something completely new, I think is what it's called. It's, it's essentially a sketch comedy movie, which is what Meaning of Life is as well. Um, have you ever seen any of the Monty Python movies? I've seen all of them, although it has been since high school since I've seen The Meaning of Life or The Life of Brian. Although I did just randomly get The Life of Brian on Criterion DVD a while back. There you go. But um, 
Yeah, so it's sketch comedy, so it was kind of it was kind of exhausting writing the review for it because like every single bullet point, like I had to re-explain like a scenario and make it, you know, kind of make sense of what I was talking about with the jokes. Um, by far my favorite part is there's this huge uh, song and dance number. Speaking of musicals, um, uh, Every Sperm is Sacred, <laughs> where you have these like uh, really poor kids in Britain that are going to be sold off for scientific experiments because they're from a Catholic family and every time the dad... Um, you know, let's one go. They have to have another baby. And so there's a big song and dance number where you see kids talking about sperm hitting the dusty ground and, and nuns, um, like, you know, doing like dancing around. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ball. Um, other parts fall flat for me. There's like this whole reference to like the British Zulu war, which it's like, okay, get on with it. Um, there's this really hilarious scene where this really fat guy goes to a, a French restaurant and he's like throwing up everywhere. It's it's basically the grossest, hilarious thing I've seen. Um, so yeah, very random Monty Python, but man, there's some really good moments throughout there. And so it was, it was a blast revisiting that. And I actually figured out that the first 17 minutes of that movie is another movie. It's a Terry Gilliam movie where like these old office workers rise up and become pirates in this office building that like goes around to different cities and takes over like corporate uh, businesses and that's actually separately loggable than the actual main feature meaning of life so i got to log both of those and uh, mention in my um review of i think it's crimson something i don't know anyways i'll log that first i said okay here's a little bit of info but the rest of it's gonna be my meaning of life review and definitely happy with that got all everything i wanted to in that review so all right. What's uh, you said? Lifted is the last. Yeah, one? the the ban has been lifted. Ban is lifted. Yeah, the ban has been lifted. Um, Ralph breaks the internet. Uh, and that lifted oh, okay. my near my near three year uh Disney. Uh, Disney specific, obviously not Marvel or Star Wars, but uh Disney ban. Why is that? Um. um Basically, I had been in a relationship where it was the the other person was like obsessed with Disney, mm -hmm. and so it was all Disney, all the time, except for Star Wars or Marvel. Oddly enough, but um, mm -hmm. yeah. So no, it was a lot of Disney, and just so I just had a lot of negative. Uh, maybe not necessarily negative, but just Disney was just associated with that person, and I just didn't want to watch Disney for a while that was kind of um, me whenever i got out of high school i remember there was like this whole period of disney like with like brother bear and stuff that i just never got around to watching like home on the range just because it was in that period of time where like oh i'm a college guy now i don't i'm too cool to watch disney movies so yeah um and so i went with uh ralph breaks the internet um have you seen the original yeah i've seen wreck it ralph i actually uh that's why i ended up when i was telling you that whole story earlier about my shenanigans at best buy today that's what i ended up buying was uh wreck it ralph on steel so that's a nice steel book yeah pretty nice um okay so but uh you have this one five stars right yo yeah no it was really good um i watched two disney movies actually this week both of them were really good both sequels um yeah so disney um the last several years i mean they they, they make good movies um it a lot of the interactions between Sarah Silverman and uh, John C. Riley, I believe, yeah. um, was just just really good. It was just a lot of them kind of you kind of hanging out here. We're on this adventure to go do this one thing, and then you know they they meet up with a uh, Wonder Woman, um, 
Yeah. Shank, but played by Gal Gadot. And yeah. uh, that was that was really cool. Um, the scene where she basically goes to Disney World, but it's like the the Disney yeah. website, and all the princesses are that there. That was pretty hilarious. Yeah, and she like puts them in pajamas, basically, and mm-hmm. um, that that was really cool. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good it was a good fun movie. Um, I mean, Wreck It Wreck It Ralph was one of my favorites, and you know, Ralph breaks the internet was was really good. Um, as well, so you know, had a you know good you know meaning of you know don't be a a over jealous needy friend yeah. needy friend yeah I was Friendships. trying you know Long not to work that vulgarly since we're talking about a Disney movie oh. <laughs> all right yeah I really like the first one I would put this one down a peg it was kind of like a better version of the emoji movie movie in a lot of ways um but yeah I had a decent time with it so oh what next what next um um, so oh, what for he, you still holds up, but why can't he make movies like this anymore? You know what this is. This is uh, Kevin Smith's debut indie phenomena, Clerks. This is still pretty darn great. Um, so I I had talked about with um, Kicking and Screaming that I like to call those movies like intellectual banner banter, and uh, essentially, yeah, Clerks falls into that, but he spices it up with some, a lot of a dick and sex humor. Which, whenever, which, when used sparingly for a purpose, is very effective and funny. But in, I also watched uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, reboot, and when they're just throwing it all over the place, just like, blah, 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 F this, F that. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just a mess. Um, no effort in the script where, yeah, you can definitely tell that. You know, he's, this was, you know, a passion project for him and he spent every last time he had making it. And I love it in the black and white. It's like super grainy black and white, but it matches this whole like premise. Great. Have you seen, ever seen the extended cut? I mean, I used to have Clerks X back in the day, so I feel that I have. Mm-hmm. I definitely have seen the alternate ending. Um, okay. I read about the alternate ending. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, I'm very sad. It was one of the things like uh, at one point in time back in the day, I sold all of my movies. Um, I needed money, and I never reacquired Clark's X. So uh, yeah, that makes me very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Jay and Silent Bob reboot. It was very disappointing. Um, that's like one of my lowest ranked movies for for viewing for this year. And I, you know, I bought it and mm-hmm. was all super hyped. And it, besides, you know vulgarity aside like it was so much like fourth wall breaking and like nudge nudge mm-hmm. wink wink like haha we remade jay and silent bob and like ha 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 which jay and silent bob had a lot of like kind of fourth wall breaking but like there mm-hmm. was just so much like hey we're, we're throwing back to chasing amy and we're throwing mm-hmm. back to clerks and clerks too and you know we're throwing back to this movie and this movie and it's like okay we get it you got a, this whole view askew universe but don't yeah. spend the whole movie throwing back to it like and it's a, I thought it was very disappointing um, I've seen some people online or a decent amount of people be like yo this movie was dope like I am sad that the whole me going to like watch it in theater and do the Q&A fell through like that still would have been really dope I don't it wouldn't have made the movie better but I guess it would have made my experience with it better oh, sure, but sure. um um so how do you feel? I know you. I don't know if you went through back and watched everything, but like Clerks versus Clerks Two. 
Well, I've only seen Clerks 2 the one time in theater, and I remember being a little underwhelmed by it. Um, I don't really remember a whole lot about it, so I couldn't really speak fairly to it. I remember some kind of crazy thing involving a live animal happens at the end or something. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a there there is a uh, there that is a donkey. In my mind. Okay, donkey donkey show or something. Yes. Um. So I won't go. Are you? You're just watching back through through all of it, right? Yeah. So I got to get to Mallrats next. Haven't got there yet. Um. I won't delve too much into it. I just know I, I'm sure you saw my comment, but um, yep. like I'm the the weird person. Like, obviously, Clerks is a classic. Um, but I remember thinking the last time I watched it, I was like, even as a a person who deals with the people every day, and I was like, oh man, I really am not supposed to be here every day, kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like Clerks two, it's just a. I think it's a better movie. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Clerks. I think Clerks might be Kevin Smith's like third best movie. Maybe, but definitely think that maybe like Clerks Two and Zack and Mary might be better than Clerks. Definitely okay. Clerks Two is. Yeah, Clerks has a special blasts. place in my heart because um, it was my freshman year of college, and we had a friend named like you know I think his name was um, Luke or something, and he had lent me a copy of Snatch, a copy of Royal Ten Bombs, and a copy of Clerks, kind of all in the same time frame, and I watched them all. And it was just like the most unique stylistic movies I'd ever seen to that point. Uh, I would say like back in high school, like Fight Club totally changed my perspective on movies. And then after that, it was in college when I watched those three in pretty um, close proximity that really enhanced like my appreciation of what um, film craft was all about. That's that's really weird, like uh, funny, because I just saw Snatch like last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it was the year before. I think it was last year. And I just got the steelbook, and I still haven't seen the Royal Tenenbaums, even though I have the Criterion DVD. I got it from one of like my pawn shop expeditions, um, and then I've, but I've seen Clerks like a hundred times. Um, I think I'm I'm not sure if that was my second or my third time. Probably my third time I've seen Clerks. Said, but, you know, but yeah, I um, yeah, seeing Randall and Dante, I'm definitely more of a Dante kind of guy. I, I, I always take my job overly seriously at times where Randall really, really doesn't give a shit about anything. But I do enjoy hearing him rant the whole, um, you know, the poor independent contractors on the Death Star during <laughs> Return of the Jedi. That's classic little rant of his. Um, yeah. I feel, I feel like I'm a good mixture of the two because um, I do care about my job. But, you know, I do sometimes understand where it's just like they don't care about us. So, you know, whatever um, <laughs> kind of deal. Love that scene where Randall goes into the Better Video Store and it's just like this kind of like heavenly music and he's just like, oh, look at all the movies. And he could care two shits about his his store. Yeah, um, they definitely, uh, the, 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 the one where he walks up and, oh, the video guy's late and I bet you I'm going to get you this, this movie before you do. Oh, 10 bucks says you want or how much ever and, you know. Everyone, anytime you say anything about Berserker, anybody is like, would you like to make him Berserker? My love for you is like a truck, Berserker. And yeah, no, it's it's so very quotable for anybody who's seen it. And you know, the black and white. Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's great. I mean, not I'm sitting here saying, oh, Clerks 2 is better. I don't think this movie's bad. I just, I think Clerks 2 is a better movie. Now to our feature movies of the week, and we have a theme now in our show, and our theme is musicals. So, Joey, since you picked the theme, you want to get us started off about 
what you like about this genre, your history with it, some of your favorites, some stuff you still want to see. All right. So as a child, I remember watching like Sound of Music and like The Wizard of Oz and, you know, kind of being enamored with them um, and then getting a little bit older um, as a child, but still being a young child and seeing, you know, Lion King and you just having the songs, you know, Circle of Life, Be Prepared, Just Can't Wait to Be King, Hakuna Matana. I mean, it just really stood out. Um, and then Aladdin, or maybe Aladdin and then Lion King, whatever. Uh, a friend like me, One Jump Ahead, Prince Ali, Whole New World. And you just had these... Um, big huge songs and i guess many people don't think of you know aladdin lion king as musicals but and they're not oh, musicals they definitely this, are. They they're definitely be. not they're definitely not musicals in the sense of you know they sing every every word but definitely well, those those are pretty rare though yeah but um you know definitely definitely um a lot of big songs that stick out you know you know Anytime somebody says be prepared, I'm 35 years old and I still think of Scott, be prepared, you know. It's a great song. They totally yeah. ruined it in the remake. Ooh, well, I haven't seen that yet. But it was definitely being, I don't remember how old I was, but I definitely was probably, I guess, in like my, my late teens, early 20s. Because, I mean, the movie came out in 2002, so I'd been 17. Mm -hmm. I saw it sometime after that. It was Chicago. Yeah. That got me into me. All that jazz. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it has tons of great songs. All that jazz, Cell Block Tango, We Both Reach for the Gun. He had uh, it coming, yep. Yeah, the Razzle Dazzle. Um, and, I mean, it had such a... It was like, on everything was done on like a Grand Louis scale, and it had tons of great actors. I mean, it won an Oscar, whether it should have won it or not. Yeah. Um, it was over a great... Um, over a great uh, set of movies that year. It beat Two Towers. It beat um, yep. Gangs of New York. Um, it beat The Pianist. Uh, and beat the hours. So you know, whether or not it should have won is debatable, but it, it, it won the Oscar. Um, and then, you know, I remember I, I watched Moulin Rouge and Rent and they just didn't, they didn't hold the same sway, but you know, that was, um, and I probably should re revisit those. I actually like Moulin Rouge. I remember not like being impressed with Rent at all, but, um, <laughs> like I probably should go back and, um, and that being said, there's still a song from Rent that, you know, the, the I don't know the numbers, but everyone knows the song from Rent with the how many ever minutes. 525,600 minutes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then, you know, recently there's just been, at least for me, there's been kind of like this big um, upswing. You know, you have like stuff like Pitch Perfect um, and it's it spawned two, two sequels that were not nearly as good. Um, but you know, some other big ones I really like, uh, Star is Born, um, Les Mis, um, and then of course, uh, La La Land. Um, yep. so, and then the, the, the main movie that we're going to talk about, I don't say main movie, the first movie we're going to talk about, um, Umbrellas. Like I just watched it and fell in love, um, nice. fell in love with it. And then, so some of the ones I still haven't seen that I would like to see, um, one of the ones we talked about at the beginning off the top, Singing in the Rain. Um, so these are all be like big ones, you know, I guess classical musicals that I've never seen. Uh, Cabaret, um, All That Jazz, uh, West Side Story. I'm going to assume that All That Jazz had some sort of influence on Chicago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, that's... I, well, I, I should have probably liked All That Jazz. That's a Bob Bossy movie. Um uh, that's a long story why I didn't like that one, but maybe we'll get there someday. So, yeah. And then, um, 
So those are the ones I haven't seen. I mean, that that, that I want to. There's there's tons more, you know, um, that they've probably made, you know, in you know from stage to movies that I don't know about or you know just That's a lot of them. Yeah, just you know I the saw Music Man. Oklahoma. Yeah. I would like to see some of the original because a star is born has been made like 700 times. Mm-hmm. I would like to see some of the older ones on um, with how good the one from two years ago was. So yeah, Mary Poppins. Yeah. Mary Poppins was a, a great one. Um, I mean, there's tons of Disney ones that you can put on there, whether or not. Um, so, all right. So, um, so I guess the first thing I want to get into is the fact that a lot of people say they don't like musicals because they're annoyed by like the characters breaking out in song, which is not realistic. But like I've always come to movies like wanting to escape realism. Like realism is not like a big major factor in why I enjoy a movie or not. So I've never that's never been a big deal for me. So I've always enjoyed mu- musicals quite a bit, and with the, the escape they give me. Um, I was a band kid in high school, so in chorus back in the day. So um, yeah, I've always had a big, strong musical background. I definitely remember my first musical being like, other than the uh, Disney stuff, was Sound of Music. My uh, mom introduced that to me um, one spring. I remember asking her like, I was like, "What? How do the nuns know like where to dance and what 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 the lyrics are and stuff?" And she just chuckled. I didn't quite understand the concept of the musical at that point. I was more just kind of following the story and like, "Oh, that's." It's kind of interesting. All right. So a couple of my favorites. Um, Amadeus is a great one. Um, there's some great, great uh, period um, like uh, opera stuff in that one. Uh, Rent was me and uh, my wife's one of my our favorites. We've seen it actually on stage at least once. See the movie countless times. Uh, when I was in drum corps, which is basically like a professional marching band, we say oh, we played that. Um, the seasons of long love song that I did a few minutes ago. Um, all the great Disney ones, Aladdin, uh, Frozen being a recent one. Um, great stuff there. Sound and music, of course. And I do like this movie that we're going to talk about later on in the podcast, but we'll get there. Um, some ones I definitely want to see still that I haven't yet. Uh, Cabaret, you had mentioned that. That's another Bob Bossy one I hear good things about. Maybe I'll get that to that tonight or flash dance i've heard a lot of good things about that one as well um footloose that could be a musical movie that's that's pretty solid a little kevin bacon action there yeah i haven't seen either one of those actually either i never even thought about putting those down there yep watch footloose You're, you'll you'll thank me footloose, footloose. Mm. let's dance all right so musical movie part one did you have anything else on the genre um i mean I mean, in both of us, you know, we kind of had a musical movie like two two episodes ago in Whiplash, a little bit different style, but yeah. um, and both of us really like really like that movie. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, definitely, I wouldn't say it, it was a musical movie, but it would it was a music movie, and mm-hmm. like if we hadn't hadn't picked that just randomly, you know, you know, you had picked one of us had picked it, I would, you know, it would definitely fallen within well within the scope of what I was going for. Um, you know, there's other movies that aren't musical that are definitely music themed, you know, like Scott Pilgrim was a mm-hmm. music movie. Um, you, uh, Bill wow. has a great soundtrack. Yeah. 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 That, that definitely has a great soundtrack. Um, straight out of Compton, uh, music. Oh movie, yeah. Musical you know, biopic. Sure. Uh, walk the line, yeah. walk the line, the dirt. Um, um so. Ray, what's yeah. the dirt? Oh, is so, that that? Is it Mon- is it Motley Crue kind of movie? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah it was Motley on Netflix. Crue. I heard yeah. about that. 
Yeah. So then there's lots of movies that are also music movies that aren't necessarily musicals um, that uh-huh. um, could have worked here. Because I, I was kind of that was kind of what I was more expecting when you said you weren't necessarily going to pick a traditional musical. Whereas <laughs> I definitely I definitely picked a more traditional musical, even though it was not English. Um, <laughs> and then not. you you kind of you kind of you didn't pick a traditional one, but you definitely you definitely surprised me. Um, and my anti-musical. So. And you didn't at the same time as soon as I saw the director. <laughs> <laughs> I surprised you, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, when you said musical, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, well, I want to show him this. But um, yeah, we'll get there. All right, See, let's talk about have, some... You should have went with Cabaret since you hadn't seen it instead of picking something you had seen already, you jerk. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um... Yeah, so your movie is The Umbrellas of Shoreburg, right? That is correct, Moon. Is that, how you spell it? is that how you pronounce it? Shoreburg? Something like that. Uh, sure. Probably not since it's French, but yeah, Umbrellas of Shoreburg is uh, what I'm going to go with. Reminds me uh-huh. of Sherbert. Some very Sherbert looking colors in this movie. Oh, yeah, right. Um, it's very bright and vibrant. So um, the, the Umbrellas of Sherbourg, I'm not even going to attempt that French enunciation. Is a 1964 musical romantic drama uh, directed and written by uh, Jacques Demet, uh, mm-hmm. and it's starring Catherine Deneuve and Nino Castelnuovo. Uh, the music was uh, composed by Michael Legrand. The film dialogue is all sung and is a recitative, um, including casual conversation and song throughout. Um, so they sing all the dialogue. Yeah, they sing all the dialogue. It is uh, apparently is the middle film of an informal romantic trilogy, mm-hmm. using the share some yep sharing some of the same actors and characters and overall look. It comes after Lola and before the young girls of Ro- Rocher Four. Probably uh, butchered that enunciation. I apologize. Um, it was very successful in France. Uh, was also shown internationally. Um, it was nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Foreign Film, Best Song, Best Soundtrack, and Best Original Screenplay. <laughs> and it won three awards at the 64 uh, Cannes Film Festival, and as you mentioned earlier, won the top prize. Yep. And if you're going to seek this movie out, don't just pick up like a, a DVD copy at the library. Uh, at least find the Blu-ray or watch on the Criterion channel. It makes a world of difference. I watched a few clips on YouTube earlier today, and it was super murky and like muddled-looking colors. Where the on the Criterion channel, it was like gl- glorious, glorious color. So definitely watch oh, this yeah. in HD. Yeah, because that's that's part of how how good this movie is. It's like we watched uh, you watched it on the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a Blu-ray and okay. it, nice. um, the Criterion Blu-ray, and it um, I I don't remember a movie with like. Just so many colors popping off the screen all, all at one time. It, mm-hmm. dude, it was it was beautifully magnificent. Yeah, it's kind of funny you picked this film now because just like a few weeks ago, I was listening just to random interviews on the Criterion Channel, and they had Patton Oswalt and um, Alicia Malone talking about this wonderful French uh, musical, um, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and. Um, I was like, oh, interesting. That I had never really been on my my radar. I think I'd heard of it, but you know, I never even like thought about it enough to figure out what it was. And this is uh, Spine seven hundred and sixteen in the collection, so pretty uh, pretty new Blu Ray still. Yeah, that is that is pretty new. Um, 
And uh, I think we said it last time, but I definitely picked this because of its influence on La La Land. And if you've seen La La Land, which oh, yeah. I feel like a lot more people have seen, as it you know, as a 2016 movie was nominated for a lot of awards, won a lot of awards. Um, you, Ryan Gosling, <laughs> yeah, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone. Um, it's definitely, definitely influenced by this movie very heavily, both. Um, the the storyline, um, how it's shot, um, <laughs> just everything. Like, and, and it has a lot of colors and stuff. And it, it yeah, is very heavily influenced. There's um, this uh, YouTube channel called Screen Prisms, um, where they did a comparison with La La Land and its influences. And of course, um, Umbrellas got mentioned. They had a, a few of the references were kind of a stretch, but other ones I uh, kind of fell more in line. So yeah, La La Land. A lot of a lot of inspiration, but yeah, umbrellas I could definitely see being a primary one. Yeah. So what's what's this movie about, Joey? Alright, so um it's a classic love story um between a, me- a mechanic named Guy and uh, Genevieve, who is played by uh Catherine Genevieve. Um she's a stunning blonde girl and this uh most in uh most innocent I've seen her in a movie. Um I guess that's the most innocent you've seen her in a movie. Yeah, yeah those, are, movie. those are my notes. <laughs> yeah, well, um, to be fair, it's the first movie I've seen her in, so I guess that's accurate. Um, okay. But yeah, no, it's uh, that part's accurate, and um, they're in love. Uh, Guy's like 20, uh, Genevieve's 17, yeah. and so they're they're young and they're hopelessly in love um yep. and doing like most people at that age who are in love they're talking about getting married and being together and mm-hmm. uh on a little date to the opera i think yeah they went on a date to the opera and you know Guy has told his aunt who he's living with who's also his godmother but genevieve has not told her mother and then mm-hmm. she tells her mother and she is you know all like well how is he going to take care of you and you know being being protective but yeah you know like like most mothers are you know he's just a mechanic and how old is he and then she tells him and oh well he hasn't even done his military service yet you, you don't need to worry about yeah, it what do you know about some foreshadowing there oh yeah it was hard foreshadowing um I really like the opening. So this this Cherbourg, this like a French port city, and then the opening is all in the rain. Um, we see kind of like these um, these fun texts go across the screen, and all these different really bright colors, and then you see the, all the bright umbrellas come in, and you get this point of view shot downward, like from a raindrop's point of view, um, you know, pouring on these umbrellas, and you got the music already cranked up there, and it's, yeah, it's a really whimsical opening. Um, definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, it was it was the yeah all the umbrellas you know, it was just really gorgeous um and it kind of sets the tone there's gonna be a ton of colors and like all of Guy's shirts when he's not you know in the like in a uniform are also usually really colorful um oh, yeah and also this is this is act one the movie is broken into three acts mm-hmm. um what's so, the first and, one what's the first one called the media is it's not the meat is it I don't know what it's called, but it, as Act One is Genevieve and Guy together. Yeah. And the and second one is when up. he. Yeah, and the second one is when Guy is in uh, Algeria. Yep, when he goes away. Yeah. So, and then the third one is when he comes back. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've seen Catherine Deneuve in a few different movies. Yeah, she is super 
cute petite blonde in this um which is pretty unique because um a few years later she was in a uh, roman polanski's repulsion where she's like this kind of this girl going crazy <laughs> um with she's like sexually repressed in that one and so that's pretty weird and then um a few years later she was in Bunuel's um belle de jour where she plays this married woman that resorts to prostitution in order to feel something in life so in this movie she's definitely um more innocent compared to those more sexually driven uh, European films she was later in. <laughs> um, mm. So this, yeah, you had mentioned before, this is one of the, uh, this is a musical that is all the dialogue is sung. Um, very few of those. I think of this one, Les Miserables from 2012, which I tragically haven't seen all the way through. Um, it was like, I started watching it one uh, Christmas whenever I was putting my kids' toys together and I stopped it like halfway through just because I had other stuff to do. And then I sat down and actually watched it with um, some family members and they're like, oh, this is really depressing, like an hour and 15 minutes in. I'm like, no, we can't stop. We have to keep going because otherwise I'll have to start over over whenever I go back to it and they wanted to stop it. So I, even though that's like one of my favorite books in high school, I still not, have not watched all the way through Les Miserables, the 2012 musical one, which is all, which is all sung. Uh, but yeah, it definitely has that ap um, operatic feel. And we've talked many times on the show about subs versus dubs. Um, and this is definitely a case where, yeah, this could only be in this French language. Like the songs coming off these people's tongues is just so charming with how these these little songs go with um, yeah how delightful they are. I think one of my favorite moments is whenever the mom and the daughter are bickering at each other and it's in this quirky uh, French language. So yeah, this definitely needs to be heard in um, in French all the way. Wasn't too bad reading the subtitles on this one. Yeah, it did take me a second. Was, you know, I'm used to you know things being sung in English for the most part, and then it comes out and it's in French. And I'm like, and I knew it was going to be in French, and it was still just kind of like the first you know 10 or 15 seconds like oh this is weird and it was like okay i'm used to it now but um but you know the the, the french singing was was very beautiful and you know that was not a big deal having the subs which i mean i i want subs on every movie all the time i feel weird when i'm watching a movie and it's not in subs so it makes me wonder what the subs must have been like for the other movie we watched because yeah oh, there weren't subs we didn't have subs on the other movie which made me very sad but ah, okay yeah all right. So, um, yeah, by far the, the highlight for this movie for me is the color. We've got into a little bit. Um, yeah, these radiant pastels. I mean, the production design and the costume department on this is just off the charts good. I mean, there's these scenes like, I think once she gets pregnant, um, spoiler for later in the movie, <laughs> she's like in this like floral like dress and like there's the wallpaper behind her that matches it perfectly. Um, guy, um, the girl who takes care of Guy's aunt, I think she's in like this orange and then they're in this orange room. So the colors are super matchy matchy, like all the way through, which is just really, really cool to see. That girl's name is Madeline. Yeah. By the way, I am actually usually really terrible with, with names, but I remember these names probably because I read them so much. <laughs> yeah. I asked you a question online about Catherine Deneuve and you're like, Gwen, uh, what was it? Uh, Gen Genevieve. Genevieve. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that was her name in that movie. Um, and so yeah, the follow up on the namesake of the movie, um, Genevieve and her mother uh, run a umbrella shop that is fallen upon hard times. And so she goes to sell her jewelry and the guy doesn't want it, but a guy named, I actually wrote this name, his name is Roland. 
he took an interest in them and he's gonna he's gonna hook them up and get them some money to save their umbrella shop but at the same time he has the hots for Guinevere. yeah um you know at first it's like it feels like mom has the hots for him and then you know a little while later he's all like nah i want to i want to marry genevieve mm -hmm. um which by this point in the movie we know that she's pregnant um and guy is already or guy has already left for algeria and his before, last oh yeah before, yeah 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 mention what happens i guess before guy takes off yeah so he um you know he had been like, oh, I got my, my draft notice and, you know, we can talk about getting married later. And then they decide, um, you know, he takes her back to his apartment and they do the thing. And yeah, possibly you know, she for the first pregnant. time. Now, I'm pretty sure it was the first time, but it's a clever little touch. Earlier in the movie, I think they were talking about like what they would name a kid. And she's like, oh, I'm definitely going to have a girl like we've always had girls in my family. And so that was kind of a cute moment. Um, and then they, I think they come up with a name, uh, Fran Francois. What's what's the name? Yeah, Francois. Francois. Thank you. Yeah. Darn French names. All right. And so yeah, they get it on. And I think my favorite part of the movie, or one of them, is definitely the, for the most part. I thought the music and throughout like sounded pretty much the same. I mean, I like I, I really enjoyed it, but it was pretty similar throughout. But the whole theme, like whenever that he she he's leaving on the train, it definitely kind of went up a notch for me, and that was a really emotional ballad there, which I enjoyed. Yeah, for sure. So, um, all right. So with him gone, yeah. So we moved to part two. Yep. And this is she, her, and the mother. I might have been at the end of part one. It might have been part two, but this is where you know. Um, Roland has left for three months to go back to Amsterdam and he is awaiting Genevieve's answer about being married. And mm -hmm. Genevieve is, she, her and her mom are going back and forth. Yep. And she's like, well, if he finds out I'm pregnant and still wants to marry me, then I guess he really is a good person and I'll marry him. Because she doesn't know whether or not she can wait on Guy or if Guy will even make it back from Algeria. And she's frustrated that he's not sending her a lot of letters. So yeah, and the mom's like, "Well, he would write if he if he you know if he really loved you." And it's like, "Well, he's in war; he might not be able to." Blah blah blah. But mm -hmm. you know, hey. Um, and in this point, um, for me anyway, it's and this probably isn't quite right because this was based off a book. But I'm starting to get uh, I was starting to get some notebook vibes. Um, how I don't know how familiar you are with that movie. But, it's been a while. But yeah, so Ryan Gosling's character and um, Rachel, Rachel McAdams, there we go. Yeah. yeah, you know, they had been together, and then um, he was like, oh, I'll write you a letter every day. And then, you know, he leaves, and the mom kept all the letters. And I thought that mom here was going to keep the letters, and she never did, thankfully. But, oh, you know, okay. he, had went to, he went to war and then um, came back and you know, sees her years later kind of deal and they end up getting back together. And I was like, this, 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 this seems like the notebook took some, took some liberties from, uh, mm -hmm. from this movie, even though, you know, it was a book, but it doesn't mean that homeboy didn't watch this movie, but, um, yeah. So that her and, uh, Roland end up getting married. And I think one of my, another one of my favorite shots is this slam cut to her in this beautiful white dress wedding veil. And she's kind of looking, 
like kind of straight at the camera and that, I thought that was very stunning. And yep, they get married and they go off to live this 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 wife without guy. Guy comes back. Mm-hmm. The white dress even was super vibrant. And you know, in a movie yep. where there's all this color, the, the white dress was even vibrant. Um, and then in the wedding, like they're getting almost in the car. say that the white represents sadness because in that moment, her leaving guy for good, and then at the ending with the snow. Oh, oh man, the ending of this movie. I can't wait till we get to the to the end of this movie. But so. At the wedding, you know, she's getting into the car with Roland. Her mom gets into the front, and they drive off, and there's Madeline. Um, and just when I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, wait, she's going to be the one to tell Guy because Genevieve's not going to tell him. But, like, it's uh, – looking back at it, it's like there's some more foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, guy has kind of a rough time coming back. He gets in a fight with his boss at his job at the garage, and so he gets fired. Kind of goes out for a bender, hooks up with a prostitute. The prostitute's name, the same name, right, Genevieve? She, well, she she had a her prostitute name, which I don't remember, but she's like, you can call me Jenny, or no, her name was Jenny, but she's like, you can call me Genevieve. And he was like, uh, no. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do I remind you of somebody? And he's like, yo, I'm I'm the fuck out of here. Peace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then guys, uh, his aunt dies and hooks up with Madeline and yeah, they're, they're happily ever after since Genevieve is out of the picture. And there's a, there's a scene there where she's in the orange dress and she's got an orange headband and it's just, it's all matchy matchy. Um, and you know, there's no, at this point we haven't seen Genevieve in, in this part because this is part three. There is no Genevieve. And so this is, this is just, this is just geek. Um, he's went by the umbrella shop. Um, he had inquired about her a little bit, and then, you know, she asked him if. Um, he's I heard on her, and I heard on another um, conversation about this. I guess they're turning it into a laundromat. I guess my first, my first inclination was maybe it was like, uh, an, like an electronic store, but I thought it was an appliance store, but. Okay, that was my vibe like, too. It could like be a, anything, like really. A, I guess like a Sears kind of deal, maybe not Sears specifically, but you know, mm-hmm. hey, we're gonna sell washers and dryers. But I guess a, I guess a laundry mat would make sense. But yeah, and he's gotten um, he's went and gotten the loan, and he's opening the, uh, he's opening the gas station that yeah. uh, him and him and Genevieve were talking about back in Act One. That you know that was how they were gonna live, is he would have mm-hmm. the have the gas station and that's what him and him and madeline are going to do i heard it described as an american style gas station not really sure how it's different but i mean maybe so but yeah definitely service style yeah because i mean when you get because you know you fast forward four years i think it was four years and you know they've got a kid and um he's, yep. and it's christmas and they're running the gas station yeah they got a little boy francois and um Francois and Madeline are running out to the store. And they're going to go see Santa because it's Christmas time? Yeah, they're going to go see Santa, and he wanted to, like, I guess, look at... He wanted to go shopping, and... Um, mm-hmm. Lo and behold, a car pulls up and yep. to the pump, and... I'm sad he music goes creeps out. in, probably, by the, at that point. Yep, and who is it? It's Genevieve and her daughter. Francois. Francois. Oh, I was pausing for to be and his daughter. <laughs> oh, Francois. <right. laughs> um yeah. but uh Yeah, no. Yeah, bittersweet. He, 
Yeah, he's he's nice and cordial, invites her in out of the snow. They leave the kid in the car. Oh, it's but just you, a few feet. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't about you know be, being alone, but she's like, I'm cold, and he's like, come inside, but you know, leave the kid in the car, and the kid will be fine. But mm. and you know, they have their conversation, and you know, hey, how you been, and blah blah blah. What? Oh, he I like he asked what she named the kid, and she was like Francois. So, and she doesn't ask what he named his kid because he does mention that he's got a kid. After mm-hmm. she talks about how pretty the tree is, but it is, it is funny that she named her kid Francois like they talked about, and he named his kid Francois like they talked about. Yeah. Um. Probably none the wiser. Both their partners probably none the wiser to it. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned before, she has kind of like this uh, white jacket on, which is really pretty, and that's set against the snowy background. And I think even like the design of the the gas station is white. So white, white, white there at the end, which is. All very bittersweet and sad. His tragic love story has come to an end. Um, they've had their own little successful spinoff romances, but it was never meant to be between them. Yeah, their their love story was very tragic. But as you see, you know, she's like, hey, do you want to meet the kid? And he was like, no. And then he's like, hey, it's time for you to leave. And she's, you know, she drives off. But then his family comes and, you know, he's happy. You know, he's happy and playing with the kid and, you know, he kisses Madeline. And so while it's bitter, you know, bittersweet that he's not with Genevieve, Genevieve's got a, you know, got her kid and, you know, her rich husband and he's got the, the life that he wanted and he's got a, you know, a very beautiful wife and a very beautiful child. And yeah. it's a love story, just not the one we thought it was. Yeah. So um, I watched a little bit of the documentary on the Criterion channel and started and for a little while it was in English until it went all French and then I turned it off because I don't really want to watch a documentary and and subtitle. Sorry. <laughs> if I want to listen to some movie or show up. <clears throat> okay, that that's two different ball games here. A show I'm sorry, I just is... I just had to. You left it wide open. Anyway, continue. Okay, what I mean is like like an, a special feature. I'm not gonna watch a subtitled special feature. It just I mean, it's enough for me to sit down and watch a subtitle movie. I'm not going to listen to people talk about the movie in subtitles. Show okay, me. It's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> um, but yeah, the director said his whole intent was to make a sad movie. And so, yeah, that he totally nailed it there. And with um, Damien Chazelle taking inspiration from this for La La Land, it like instantly clicked. I'm like, oh, so like... Chazelle's whole like plan with La La Land is to also make this doom romance which there's there's parts I love about the end of La La Land I've always been a little hung up with like how they could have still kind of gotten together if they wanted to but you know it just wasn't meant to be in that story and me coming from like so my personal thing is so I've been married for like going on 11 years and I married my high school sweetheart so we've been together 20 years and so like commitment's always been like my thing so, like, I haven't been through a lot of breakups. So, when I see breakups in movies, I wouldn't say I necessarily see eye to eye with them. So, um, yeah. So, in some of these doomed romance things, I don't necessarily connect with um, that part of it. Well, first off, I I, I think that the end of La La Land is, a, is sadder than the end of Umbrellas. And in to a degree. Because, because the get- thing that was... Because you get the fantasy, right? Well, the, the 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 big sad part of Umbrellas happens in the middle where she just ups and marries this other guy 
mm-hmm. in the middle and doesn't really tell tell doesn't tell Guy. And but he gets, you know, he gets his redemption and he gets to basically basically rub it in her rub it in her face. He's like, Hey, I got the gas station me and you were talking about. I've got a wife, I've got a kid, you should bounce out. And whereas in La La Land, you know, he yes, he gets his club and she went and become an actress, but they had to while that whole movie they were pushing each other to do these things, they had to break up with each other to acquire those things. And that's when um, you know, she became married and had the kid and, you know, they see each other and it's this this kind of this look of this is what we wanted for each other. We still wanted to be together and I and maybe it was the time period when I watched it kind of thing, but I just remember being the end of that movie. I was ridiculously sad and like brokenhearted. Whereas this movie, I was like, you know what? His, his ending was probably better with, with Madeline than it would have been with Genevieve. So hmm. interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a wonderful film filled with a uh, vibrant color, uh, charming French music. And I did get it. I did at least shed one tear at the end in that, that beautiful white sequence, um, there in the snow with her, her jacket and so forth. Um, yeah, a solid flick for me. I would give it about four and a half. Gave it the full five. Um, so I, I loved it. I will probably, I almost certainly when the next, uh, criterion cell runs around, we're going to be picking that up. Um, I don't know if I'll be picking up a lot because they just announced that new Criterion box set that I'm going to have to buy, but I definitely will be picking up umbrellas. Nice. All right. Well, we have another music to go musical to come up right. Uh, all right. So we have another musical to talk about right after the break. And while we were both kind of gushing over umbrellas, I think we might be a little bit more split on dancer in the dark coming right up. Nothing dreadful ever happens. All right, we're back. And so my musical pick of this themed episode is what I would consider a musical, anti-musical, the genre completely turned upside down on its head with my boy, Lars von Schreer's Dancer in the Dark. He's accused of some pretty bad things, so don't take that, my boy, thing too seriously. I love his movies. Um, I definitely separate the art from the artist when it comes to... uh, movies um man if a movie is acclaimed i'll go see it i don't i don't care who who made it i won't get too much in deeper into that any thoughts on that joy i mean kind of the same thing like um because i mean i i have no clue that he's been accused of anything but you know i'm not gonna stop watching movies with kevin spacey in it i'm not gonna stop watching movies that like how many movies would we have to not watch because of harvey weinstein like yeah Every Quentin Tarantino movie. Pretty much. Like anything with the word Miramax on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
uh, Polanski is apparently a great director and uh, <laughs> did some terrible stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, and how many people have done terrible stuff that we don't know? We don't know about. I would have yeah. to stop watching football. Um, sure. And and that's saying it's not even like considering like like our hearts go out for any victims of any abuse. I mean, worldwide. It is. I mean, entertainment aside, anybody who anybody um, something bad happens to you know you obviously feel for them. But yeah, we're here to talk about movies. So, but yeah, I and, and to tack on to obviously these people did horrible things. They they should be punished and they shouldn't be able to like keep making movies and you know get away with it kind of deal. It's just you know the movie's there and it's entertaining or you know as you said acclaimed. You know then. And I kind of debated whether I wanted to get into this. And um, this is actually the movie where, you know, the finger got pointed at him. Um, During the whole Me Too movement, Bjork went out there on social media and said, man, there's this Danish filmmaker and he's a complete creep. You know, he made passes at me. He treated me like shit. Um, And so, yeah, it's out there. I mean, the result is one freaking amazing performance from her, her only, her only, um, you know, screen role. But um, yeah, go ahead and put that out there. I mean, I feel bad that she had a bad experience, but at the same point, I hope she can be proud of the, of the movie in some way because she was amazing in it. Um, but yeah, when I had come to Dancer in the Dark, I had seen Dogville, which Joey did not enjoy. I saw Breaking the Waves, which totally blew me out of the water. Um, actually, I'm skipping forward a little bit. Um, I started off with Dogville, like I said. I jumped forward from there to Antichrist. And Antichrist put me off so bad that I was like, man, do I want to watch any more Lars von Trier movies? Are they going to really, you know, make me feel this bad? And I think after that, I got into Melancholia, which has Kirsten Dunst in it. So imagine, like, um, what's her face from the Dogville? That's um, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. What she goes through in Dogville, what Bjork goes in this one. Imagine that going on Kirsten Kristen Dunson, that's her and Melancholia, basically. So you can you can imagine, um, yeah. Essentially, Lars von Trier he likes to take this uh, female protagonist and really put her through the ringer. Ringer. Um, after that, I watched Breaking the Waves, and that totally blew me away. And then I started hearing about this Dancer in the Dark movie, and I heard that people either really really loved it or really really hated it, but I didn't know why either way. And so I dived in and um, it wasn't as good as Breaking the Waves, but it truly, it was an emotionally wrecking experience. And that's truly what I, um, a lot of times when I look for in movies. Um, and it was a complete coincidence that uh, Catherine Deneuve, who um, was in Umbrellas and Sherberg, actually plays like the older mentor woman in this. Surprise, surprise. So that was kind of a strange coincidence. A lot of strange coincidences between our two picks. Yeah, because they you know they both won a Cannes Film Festival award. Um, so you were talking about how people either seem to really love or really hate this movie. Um, yep. So we finished this movie, and I got told I think this is the only movie that um, I apparently was angry at when the movie was over, and I was like, oh, "What are you, what are you talking about?" I was like, "I hated. I, like, I think I hated Dogville more." And they're like, well, "You might have hated it more, but..." You were you weren't angry at the end of this movie. I apparently was angry when when this movie ended yesterday. Um, <laughs> yeah, you said so, uh, some choice words to me on Facebook, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll hear more about that. So I, I guess the feeling has, has subsided. Um, I mean, I don't. 
I'm definitely not angry. I'm just, uh, I mean, I'm glad the movie's over. Jeez, um, hopefully you think it was boring. At least it wasn't three hours long like Dogville. Oh, my uh, God. It felt go. long like Dogville, but Jesus Christ. Right. But we'll, the... we'll, we'll get into it. There's a part where we'll, we'll discuss some of that stuff, too. But, you know, I'll sure. let you... I know start. I know you do like to follow exactly like the plot beats and how a story unfolds. So if it if there's some conveniences, I can see how you get hang hung up. So I'm curious to see what you have to say on that on that part. All right. So in the story, Bjork plays a uh, Eastern European woman named um, Selma, um, very stubborn daydreamer, immigrant factory worker, who she's come to America to have the American dream. Um, she has degenerative eye condition and so she's saving up to pay for an operation uh for his son even though she tells everybody that she's sending money back to czechoslovakia where she's from for her father she's a super super charming lady i mean her her smile is just totally infectious and she loves 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 musicals and so like She's part of this like local theater company and there she has the lead in the play where they're doing sound of music and she's like, oh, I wish they could have a drummer. So, um, you know, I could feel the rhythms and um, the choir director, he really, really appreciates her. But um, yeah, no drummer. And later on, we definitely see why having a beat is so important to her. Okay, so a part of her love for movies is um, or musicals, that is, is she never wants a musical to end. And so she has a habit of actually walking out like before the climax starts. So in her mind, she can continue those wonderful memories of the music like, you know, forever and never has to see it in. So she's definitely a romantic, very stubborn woman, um, very prideful person, a very interesting character study because she is all of these. Um, what were your impressions of Selma to start off with? I mean, yeah, she's super nice. Um, and you know, she's just, just this really nice, sweet woman um, who's just trying to make it in America and trying to make it, you know, for her kid, um, honestly. Um, and that prideful, very prideful um, to her detriment, um, honestly. Oh, for sure. Very yeah. stubborn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, and she loves the loves the musicals. Um, you know, you get to the like the scene uh, a little bit further in. I don't think it's much further. She's further in where she, her, and um, Catherine. I don't remember the character's name, but uh, it is Kathy or in the movie. Okay, and they're uh, they're they're like at a theater watching a movie, and it's like yeah. those two and like one old man, and she, like Kathy's explaining the movie to her. And the mm -hmm. dude turns around as being a complete dick. He's like, I paid good money. And he's like, she's like, hey, man, she can't see very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the dude's like, I mean, I guess to be fair, maybe they should have sat closer. but Or further know, away, were, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I totally felt for the guy, like, getting mad at the people talking in the theater. Although, yeah, she, you, you know, we have a lot I mean, of deep appreciation for someone. Or what she's I mean, they weren't, like, talking super loud. Like, they're only people in the theater. So it's like. It wasn't like it was a, a crowded theater. They weren't watching like the new, like talking in the middle of, um, you know, some new big movie, you know, whatever, but marriage still at the story same time. or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk all you want marriage story. We're watching it at home on Netflix, but yeah, yeah true story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love how this movie opens up with the, um, 
so it starts like with this instrumental um, kind of melody and we see all like these um, abstract colors come across and whenever I'm sitting there watching that the first time I'm like gosh I remember this song I've heard this song before where is this from and actually when I was in drum corps way back in the day there was a drum corps who had performed the song from the beginning that ballad and the whole like percussive thing in the factory those were two parts of their shows so I'd actually heard some of this music coming into it so I had already had somewhat of a connection um, and then whenever I was watching it this time um, I kind of got the feeling that maybe like these random like colors and stuff we see on the screen to start off with during this beautiful melodic section might be like something somebody that can't see might actually come to mind whenever they're hearing sounds like that so that's kind of what I got and then it like slam cuts to um, the dancer in the dark um, title on screen it's kind of shaky Lars von Schreer there in the middle now Lars von Schreer he came up with this thing him and another director called the Dogma 95 movement um, in the 90s, I believe it was. And so basically what they wanted to do is they wanted to strip movies down to like their essence. Like they didn't want to have a whole lot of genre stuff in there. They wanted to shoot on like handheld cameras. They wanted like the storytelling and the acting to really be like the big main thing. And although they broke those, a lot of the rules they made, I mean, it is very like a raw stripped down thing. And so like, Def, like for this being a movie from like the 2000s you look at it and you're like wow this is very like muted and like it's handheld cameras so there's a lot of shaky cam it almost feels like a documentary because like they're coming out of the factory and like they're zooming up on the characters so it's almost like this like peeking inside kind of uh, look to it um, I suppose you probably didn't like the look of it I did not like the camera work like I, I didn't like the way they did some of the close-ups um, and, and at first, in the very first opening scene where they're in the um, at the at the theater house or whatever, I was like, "Is this a documentary? Is this a documentary about musicals?" Like at first, that was the first thing that went through my head. Sure. And then I was like, "I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting, maybe." And I was like, <laughs> "Maybe." Well, to be fair, that's what I said about Dogville when they come out and it's like on a stage and it's yeah. like very minimalist. I was like, "Okay, this is going to be interesting." And and then and then it wasn't and the rug got pulled out from underneath me. Um, maybe not as bad in this one. I I didn't you know give uh, eight vomit emojis at the end, but um, one and a half stars is about the same thing. But okay. I mean, I gave one star. I gave it half a star more. Hmm. Thanks for giving away my star rating, you jerk. All right. Um, but. Um, no, I did not like the the the, the camera work. Um, like, there was just a lot of what I thought was weird close ups and things, especially mm -hmm. of Bjork. Um, yeah. Very of some of space. And I and what I would describe those as more more intimate. You're definitely getting up close and personal with like how she feels about stuff. And I mean, she can. I mean, she really can't do a lot since she can't see. Um, I mean, if we talk about the story a little bit, um, so she works at a factory. Um, she goes to an eye doctor to get like an eye exam done and she actually cheats on this little sheet to so she could get cleared for work even though she can't see where shit um which yeah, comes she... back to bite her in the ass later oh yeah for sure for sure 
yeah, it's such it's such a big story. I'm trying to like figure out how to you know tackle all these different nuances. But yeah, let's go through my notes here. Um, and I like to to the point of I didn't even put it together that she cheated until you just said it. And I'm like, oh, it's like a light bulb above my head. <laughs> that because now that you say that, it's like, oh wait, duh, that's what duh. Yeah. Yeah, she couldn't see her very good at all. And she's a daydreamer. She can't see very well. She's working in this very dangerous factory making, like, um, sinks or something where she brings these pieces of metal up to a press and it um, squishes it down. And with her, like, kind of daydreaming or whatever, um, she's prone to try to put two in at once, which will break the machine, which comes in later. I keep wanting to say like what because I mean this is a musical but we're talking about this like drama about a woman um and so yeah the musical element doesn't really come in until about 40 minutes into it and we hear like the rhythmic sounds of these machines you know pumping or whatever and then all of a sudden like these bleak colors that we see like all through the first half of the film like it all of a sudden gets very bright vivid color and goes into a musical dance sequence all of a sudden it is the musical theater of her mind. Uh, she escapes into her own little musicals. And I'd never heard the music of Bjork before. That's pretty weird. But at the same time, I dig it. Very percussive, very unique, interesting. Um, I just find it super charming. Um, so one of the things that I tend to enjoy about musicals mm-hmm. or music-based movies is the music. I did not like any of the music in this movie. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't like like lyrics. I didn't like her singing. I didn't like the actual music. Like everything was very off-putting. Like I tried. Like I didn't go into it going, "Oh, it's Lars von Trier. I hated his last movie." No, like I tried. I tried so hard. But just every time a song came on, it was just like, "Okay, here's a song." cool and then it was just like no this just it's, it's doing nothing for me and then by the time we got to the end the songs were like the worst part like i wanted oh. there to be no songs especially like the two songs in the last 20 minutes which the last 20 minutes that didn't even need to happen in this movie but uh did you like the lyrical like instruments at the beginning not particularly Okay. Very pretty melodies in my opinion. Um, oh no, I feel, I am aware that I'm in the minority because Carl like hard disagreed with me, but you know, yeah. Uh, and just to go through the music. So the first one is, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like she's uh, speaking gibberish, but at the same time you have these really cool, like machine um, effects going on. And it's not like a perfect musical number. Like whenever you think back to a movie, like uh, shape of water, like where that's kind of a fantasy, a fantasy, like, um, Broadway stage production. It is very glitzy, glamoury. Um, while it's, you know, obviously like these factory workers wouldn't all jump up and start dancing in real life. It's, this is the musical theater of her mind. It's still a little rough. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they've just come, kind of come up with these routines and it's definitely, it comes off to where it would be imagined in someone's mind instead of being actually perfect, which I really appreciated. And, and like the, the concept, I, the, that idea, like I, I am down with, I just, I personally don't like the way it was 
executed. And I really like the song. Um, so she has a guy that like, so she basically has two guardian angels in all of this. And there, on the other hand, there's a guy, you know, basically the antagonist, which we need to, it's just a complex, <laughs> I feel so lost in this because there's so many, I mean, there's the look of it, there's the music, there's her story, there's why she's doing it, and then like how it comes to play. So it feels like a very uh, big movie to tackle. Um, but I guess we'll talk about her guardian agents a little bit. There's uh, this guy that is like basically always showing up at the factory. He really wants to like be uh, her uh, boyfriend, essentially. And he's always offering her rides and he's, and she's very prideful. She's like, I, I like you, but you know, I don't want a boyfriend right now because she's very prideful. The fact that she wants to earn money for her son. And even like whenever he brings um, a bicycle for the son to have. And I would say my biggest complaint about the movie is the fact that the relationship between Selma and her son is never all that like, it never feels like front and center. It's always about her trying to earn money. It's never about like her actual relationship with the son. The son is very much pushed to the side, which I would, I would say that was my biggest complaint about it. Um, her other guardian angel is the Catherine Deneuve character. She's basically looking out for every step of the way, like at the factory. She also works at the factory and she's making sure that Selma's, you know, doing her job, not messing up. Um, she's at her, at the movie theater with her, like telling what's going on at the movie theater. Um, she, even whenever like Selma wants to take an extra shift on the late night in order to get even more money, um, like Kathy shows up and, you know, she's all about helping her every step of the way. So she has this really good support system. But unfortunately, her landlords, not so much. Um, you want to tee up the, land, uh, the the situation with the landlords? All right. So her landlords are also um, like her, a couple of her closest friends. Um, one of them is a police officer in the town. And then the you got the police officer's wife. Um, and they watch her son while she works. Um, so, you know, they help her out a lot. And one day, the to kind of set up the big struggle, the, the, the real big struggle besides, you know, her needing to make money, is that the, the police officer, he comes over and they're talking and he's like, hey, I, I need to tell you a secret. Yep. And he tells her that... Um, his wife is spending money faster than he can make it and they're in a lot of debt and uh, they're going to lose the house or they're going to mm -hmm. lose everything kind of yeah, deal. Foreclosure kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that he really needs money. And, you know, she's like, well, don't you feel better? Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, she's like, well, it help if I tell you a secret. And she's like, I'm going blind. And mm -hmm. then uh, he tells her, tells him about the degenerative, eye condition and that her son has it as well and that like everybody in her family has it kind of deal it's genetic mm -hmm. and then he she tells him that he's she tells him that she's been saving up money for however long that it's been and that uh she almost has enough money and that um when he turns 13 um she'll be able to pay for the surgery And, you know, that should be pretty much it. And I think it's like the right after that's when she takes the double shift. She takes the night shift where uh, she. Yeah, because I mean, she, she feels bad that she can't give him the money. 
because um, she really needs that for herself. But, you know, he's trying to guilt trip her and she he knows like what a caring person she is. So he's trying to take advantage of her that way. Yeah, because um, he says it'll be for it'll just be for a month. It'll be alone. All he yeah. needs is a, a one month and he can catch up kind of mm-hmm. deal. Um, and then she takes the she takes like the double shift in which Kathy shows up to help her. Mm hmm. Because she's she's not being able to go fast enough, and then she she ends up uh, messing up. She puts two, she yep. puts two in the machine. Yep, she gets caught in this whole musical number, which yeah results in her you know pretty much getting fired because she messes up the machine. Um, one thing I thought of is the fact that um, so whenever her and her son go and visit um, their landlords because they they spend a lot of time together, um, she knows that our landlord loves to talk about money, likes to get questions about money. And that's kind of a subtle um, thing that sets up later on because the landlord essentially so in one of the eeriest scenes of the movie, like after she's exhausted, she comes home and she talks to him and then he he, try, he like pretends to leave. But what he was really doing is he's hanging out there in the corner. He knows she can't see. He sees where she's hiding the money and she steals the money, t- totally takes advantage of her. And then whenever she figures it out, she goes and like, you know, approaches them. It's like, I really need my money back. But at the same time, the corrupted landlord has like planted all these seeds to where like his wife's already like suspicious of her. Like he told her that like uh, Selma was having like advances toward her. So it's it's a bad situation all around. And so whenever she uh, confronts him for the money, um yeah it gets it gets pretty dicey um somehow the gun gets pulled out he gets shot and then he's just like would you just kill me my life is miserable and it's it's miserable watching her like trying to help him because like she can't see she's shooting all over the place and it actually comes to the point where she bashes his head head in with this like this safety deposit box so it's it's pretty grueling (laughs) yeah he 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 goes i i thought about shooting myself but i couldn't I couldn't do it. Pretty, and at first I, pretty much I, coward. I, yeah, I thought he meant like maybe he would shoot himself to get like pension money or to like say he was hurt on the job kind of deal. But I guess, you know, that was like the sixties, you know, where the movie was set, you know, cause it'd be probably be a little different, but then, you know, the gun goes off. Um, you know, they're fighting over the money and then the gun goes off and then the wife comes upstairs and he's like, she shot me run to so-and-so and get, um, get the cops, you know, get the cops. You know, she's trying to steal our money, even though it was her money to start with. Uh-huh. And you know she she ends up shooting him, and then she misses. There's some like fl- shots through the floor, and, and there's no witnesses him. to claim to this because this whole time she's covered up the fact that she's saving up money for her son. They she claims she's sending it to Czechoslovakia. So it's, I mean, there's some definitely some conveniences and how this is all playing out. But yeah, and it can get pretty frustrating with how stubborn she is. Well, yeah, because all she ever had to do was tell people that she was going blind. Um, <clears throat> the whole time. Um, and, and I wonder and, if she, uh, like, if, she, if they never made it implicit to whether it was too late for her to actually have a procedure. So, like, maybe she could get her eyes fixed and work hard and then help her son. But, um, I guess we're just left to assume that, um, it's too well, late for her. I, I, I guess because she like had to do it when he was 13, I guess there was like an age time, like a time frame. But she also okay, said that, make sense. that if he worried too much about it, it would cause too much stress on his eyes and he wouldn't be able to get the surgery to fix it. Yeah. So I'm guessing based off of that and then her age kind of deal that it was probably too late. 
Yeah. So yeah, that could make that could alleviate some of the conveniences, especially with her keeping a secret, not wanting to stress him out about it. Um, yeah. So, and so one of the strangest sequences happens to where she um, goes into a musical number after the murder, because yeah, she's bashed his, his his head in, and and so yeah, during the musical number, um, he comes back and, and dances with her, and I believe the lyric is "I did what I had to do," which is, is pretty heartbreaking that she was put in that situation to begin with, because he was such a monster. And yeah, she doesn't really know how to help herself. And so she goes on the run. Um, she hooks up with her. Uh, do you know what um, his name was? Jeff, Anna? I believe. Jeff. Peter Stormare, right? It's Jeff. Yeah. Jeff. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So um, Jeff picks her up and um, he helps her to the river, right? Because she gets rid of like the, the evidence or whatever. Well, she and tries then... to because her blouse, she, she gets into the water. But the money bag, like mm-hmm. the bank bag, she throws, but it ends up stuck in like the like a like a tree forks out, and it ends up like stuck in the fork of a tree. Ah, yeah, I, I do remember that. Um, and there's like this guideline that helps her get to, I guess, the doctor's office, and like, yeah, she uses whatever money she can in order to put down to, um, yeah, get the surgery for mm-hmm. his son. $2,056.10, I believe, is the amount of money that it yep. is. Yeah, very specific. And then um, a uh, Lars von Scheer regular plays the doctor. What is his name? Uh, Stellan Skarsgård? Is it still? No, Udo Kier. Udo Kier plays the doctor. He's a he's a Lars von Scheer regular. Because um, right here it says Dr. Stellan Skarsgård. Um, Skarsgård plays the eye doctor. Okay. He's also a Lars von Scheer regular, so good catch there. Well, this is where she went to see the, oh, the eye doctor, not that doctor. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's the eye test doctor, and then there's the eye surgeon later on, so. All right, and so she goes back, and, um, Jeff asks if she she wants to go to music practice, and she, you know, concedes. Apparently, everybody in the music hall has heard that, you know, she's been a part of this terrible crime, and so they're doing everything they can to keep her there, um, yeah, and then there's the scene where, like, you know, she doesn't think they know anything, and, like, her passion is performing these musicals, and there's a pretty heartbreaking scene where she has to admit to the conductor, not the conductor, but, like, basically the choir organizer leader that, you know, her heart isn't in it, and she really has to step away from this, which we know, you know, really isn't the case, but, um, you know, to hear somebody that's so passionate about say- something saying they have to leave something because of circumstances is always a tragic thing to hear. So, um, let's see here. So yeah, following along with the story, she, you know, gets arrested and, um, hauled away at the musical. Um, yeah, she goes through kind of a sham of a a court procedure. She has a hack lawyer, um, that really doesn't represent her very well. And then like, we don't even see any defense at all. No, it's just, it's just the prosecution. And then, um, yeah, they really pile it on, like saying how she's this murderer, which it's it's a, and it's, a communist, and like she hates America, and this is the '60s, so yeah, so that all kind of flows in court for sure. Yeah, so, and it, I, I remember feeling kind of comical, like the first time I watched it, like how could like they say this like sweet, like innocent girl is you know responsible for all this, but. Yeah, they get away with it, and she, you know, she gets locked away, put a put behind bars. Um, 
And, jeez. And I would, I would like to point out that right here is where the movie should have ended. As soon as <laughs> they sentence her to death, like, that's that's it. We don't need the last 20 minutes of this movie, like, at all. Like, what in all reality, what did the last 20 minutes of this movie add that, that we... Well, first of all, she does get the opportunity to get out of there. And she's like, oh, really? And they're like, but you'll have to pay for this better lawyer. And it's going to cost like all the money you want for your son's surgery. So no, no, she ha- no, they give her the lawyer and she's like, well, he's like, but it'll cost you money. And it's all the money that your friends raised. And it's $2,056. No, that's the money for the surgery. Yeah, that's the money they for took, the surgery. Because that she, because she told Kathy you know that they that to send her son to this this doctor yes. and to say that her name was Novi and then that would get her out but they would have but they took the money back from the doctor in order to pay for her to get out that's the reason she refused to um take the lawyer yes that's it why she refused but she didn't the doctors the lawyer is the one who told her how she that it was going to cost more money and that's how she got that's, and he's like, it's a specific amount of money. And she guessed how much it was. And because that's it's the same amount she was going to pay for the surgery. It was yes. going to take away the surgery. Like, no, she's like, put this money back for him to have the surgery. Because right. Kathy was like, the, uh, a kid needs her mother. And he was like, no. She was like, no, he needs his eyes. And they right. had that big fight about it. Yeah. Very, very, very stubborn. Um, so, yeah, she pretty much falls apart in prison. Um she uses like the music through like the air ducts from the chapel in order to escape off into a um, a musical sequence, and from there it just gets harder and harder for her to escape this harsh reality of being locked away in prison. Um, Lars von Scheer, he's so like he loves to just really pull at your heartstrings and just totally pull the rug up from under you, basically. Um, and so it gets to like the gallows part, and there's like this very um sympathetic security guard who makes friends with her and does everything he, she can to comfort her and like even like whenever it's time for her to get hung um like she's like they're like beating on the um the ground in order for her to be able to just sail off into this other musical number which i totally forgot about the one in court where like they were exposing the fact that she had lied about this like person being her father the whole time. And so they brought in like this famous tap dancer in order to be a part of that whole musical sequence, which was pretty neat. Um, yes, yeah, just gets so sad with the fact that like, yeah, she's escaping into these, um, these different numbers in her head in order to escape, you know, the event, her eventual fate. And then she's up there, you know, with the, with the noose around her neck, with the bag over her head and she starts screaming and she just does not want the bag over her head she cannot handle that so we have to see her with the neck around her uh, or the the noose around her neck you know in front of all of her loved ones there and she needs a way to escape and she hears her heartbeat and then bjork belts out the most heartbreaking like melodic singing and at this point like tears because i you know i mean i've seen it before and i've seen like the hanging sequence it's been four times now and just it was actually leading up to that moment that really just really got into me and i was crying i knew it was coming and it was just so painful like seeing her in this moment and then all of a sudden it happens the snap of the neck sounds a little bit fake and then man that's the end 
and then the camera goes down and it pans up almost like the fact that like she might be transcending to heaven and then we see the lyrics on the screen you know finishing the song because she was never but she never wanted those songs to finish and that's dancer in the dark um it's super gut-wrenching painful i mean you feel so much for this character but at the same time she is so so stubborn that she will not let anything happen and so she wants to fall on the sword for what her cause is um this is actually part of lars von trier's uh, heart of gold trilogy where he took these female protagonists and basically put them through the ringer for their beliefs which is basically what it was about the first one is breaking the waves you have the idiots which that's another story and then the last one dancer in the dark so um so yeah tell me more about why you don't you don't like the um don't like the ending i mean the, the last 20 minutes doesn't add anything it's just more brutality and more of her being stubborn and more like if if we end with her she gets the death penalty we know she dies the kid gets his surgery and everything is already wrapped up we don't need 20 more minutes of just of nothing essentially like well, the, the 20 minutes doesn't, i mean that's doesn't where all the, anything i mean that's where all the emotion is like there was never... already tons of emotion if, if she'd already been victimized by the monster forcing him to kill her we'd already seen her put through the sham of a of a courtroom scene where she's railroaded into being the death penalty we'd already you know there's already all this emotion in the first two hours. Like we don't need more of it just piling on. And like, it's basically, it's like, okay, we've ripped your heart out. Now here's the last 20 minutes where we step on your heart. Like, it, and, and, and for me, it was really the step on the heart that really finally was the, that, that was, that pushed me over the edge and watch puts me so emotionally invested. And like, I enjoyed it, but just how devastating that ending is, is what it pushes it over the edge and what makes the movie for me. So, Sounds like you got there a little sooner than I did. <laughs> I mean, it's just. So it killed. I mean, without the ending, would this be, would you see this as any better? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the, the hanging scene and that stuff was brutal, but I, I just, it was one of those things where this was a movie that was two hours and 20 minutes that could have been two hours and would have been better. Um, in my opinion, it wouldn't have made it uh, five stars by any means because I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a very good movie. My roommate was like, "Oh well, I thought it was technically great. You seem to think it was technically great. I didn't like the the camera angles and the close ups and all of that stuff at all either. I didn't like the music, so like, no, it wouldn't have made it a lot better. <laughs> but it definitely an extra twenty minutes less probably would have." made it feel a little better because again you just like i felt like the extra 20 minutes was beating a dead horse at that point mm-hmm. uh, i don't know I, st- I still felt the life in it and you know yeah it definitely slowly gets squeezed out um but gosh. i mean i guess that goes to like you enjoyed the movie and so 20 more minutes of something you enjoy is fine whereas at like we paused the movie at 45 minutes and I was like, holy fuck, this has only been 45 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Was that after the first musical number? I don't remember. I just remember that the time on when we paused it on Amazon Prime said 45 minutes. And I was like, okay. holy shit. Um, <laughs> but I was like, okay, there's still like an hour and 35. There can be some good. There's going to be something. 
Like, I ain't gonna lie, I was very surprised when we got to the scene where they killed the cop. I was like, yeah. all right, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was unexpected. Probably should have, considering who was the name of the director. Should have expected <laughs> something. I'm not gonna lie, I was I was expecting her to like the the cop to rape her and take the money. This is one of the more... f- yeah. This is one of the few ones where there's not rape. So um. Which is a surprise for Lars, but um, I think based on the relationship he had with Bjork throughout this thing, she probably would not have stood for that. Jeez, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like I'm doing it justice. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting to you know hear that. You know, it's kind of interesting how you know you were down on it in some moments, and I'm trying to kind of pump pump it up in others. But yeah, I just find it to be. I mean, just thinking about those those fi- that final sequence is just. Just really gets to me. Um, she's such a beloved character throughout the whole thing. Very prideful, interesting character study. The music is definitely unconventional. It definitely flips the music genre on its head. Um, amazing film for me. So, yeah, you know it's five stars. Yeah, well, you already said I gave it one and a half. I will say that I think, and much like with Dogville, I think that the premise was 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 a good premise. But I, I think that this is going to be... A director that I don't work like I don't like very well. I've seen three of his movies, two of them I have not clicked with at all. So, well, if you ever want to torture me, you can throw me Antichrist or the Idiots. Um, those are the so some of my favorite films have been from Lars von Trier, Breaking the Waves and Dancing in the Dark, but also my most despised film of my in life, The Idiots. Uh, that's on the other end of the spectrum, which that's one of the only movies where like. Like, I talked about it a little bit in Clerks, where I don't relate to people that are slackers, but, like, basically that's what the idiots kind of glorifies, that kind of behavior in a way that really twists me the wrong way. And then Antichrist, I I think I described another time how painful that one is to watch, even though it's very, very brilliant artistically. And it's, hor- it's horror elephant, um, horror elements. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Felt like I had a lot to say there. Hopefully I got some of it out. Um... Yeah, definitely check out my review on Letterboxd. It's it's definitely organized well there. So, all right. So we have come to an end of another episode talking about Dancer in the Dark for about 40 minutes. <laughs> so we're almost back up to, you know, what we usually talk. Um, wasn't sure, you know, where we would land with uh, in the first half only taking about an hour. But, um, yeah, our next episode will feature uh, arrow titles that we've never seen before. And so I have picked a movie I want to see for a long, long time, but I don't know anything really about it. I know it's Sam Peckinpah. I want, we're going to see um, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Um, it's a movie I have never even heard of, but like I said earlier, um, I did purchase since it was uh, only seven and a half pounds on the Arrow Flash sale, so like 10 bucks. And then um, I picked um, Ronin, which is a movie I am familiar like with by name, but I don't really know anything other other than it has uh, Bob De Niro and it has Leon um, in it. So, um, um, so yeah, um, I imagine these are going to be a little bit different ends of the spectrum, but uh, ought to be interesting to, um, to to get some Arrow titles. And I was very interested to see where this was going to go because uh, Arrow has such a diverse catalog of movies oh, i'm oh, sure, sure. we're looking looking through um you um from horror and um art house and pink movies to to just everything so um under what's the a, sun what's a pink movie 
basically a porno oh okay <laughs> um never heard it described not, as a pink movie do <laughs> you, you you go on their website uh they have like the pink collection volumes one and two it's, it's not quite a porno but it's 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 probably more than like a skinamax movie but less than a porno so somewhere in that middle between the two but yeah they have like all sorts of stuff um so nice. ought to be uh ought to be interesting on yep. our next uh yeah next... never heard of that one either so i i hadn't either um that was a very new thing that i just learned about <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for everyone who's following the show. If you want to join the club, make sure hit that subscribe button. Leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and if you ever want to answer, uh, want to ask us a question, just uh, send us a question. Send us an email at the Average Joe's Movie Clubcast at gmail.com or you know visit our Facebook page. There's a button that makes it real easy for you. Or of course, as always, you can find either one of our personal pages at letterbox.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Want some feedback? Want to know what you guys are thinking about the show, or if you just want to, you know, ask us some stuff to, for us to answer. So, yeah, and answer that question. Dance with the dark, good, bad, somewhere in between. All right, Joey. Um, so we're gonna end this a little bit differently now, and I'm gonna ask Joey, why do we do this show? And we do this show because we love talking about movies. Good night, everyone. Just mark me, my mate.